0: Amen. I thought it was kind of interesting uh, since the first song. By the way, it was uh, the first song was supposed to be a choir special, but uh, that song I loved the message of it so much, and people started standing, and I didn't want to sit there. I wanted to stand up too, so I enjoyed it. But I thought it was kind of interesting because they're talking about how we're sinners and we we mess up, and then you know something happened and the tape stopped for a second and it got off, and I thought, wow, uh, Pastor Andy's earning his money because he got everybody back right on it, and it was awesome. <laughs> I couldn't have done that. I just had to say, start over. I don't know where I am. Uh, but he did really well there. And, uh, and so that was a great, great thing. But, but it, just, it sort of illustrated the song, didn't it? That we all mess up. And we all need God's grace. We all need forgiveness and help uh, in, in, in these times. And I love the message of the song. Man, that was a strong song. I, don't know, I never heard it before. I don't know where you found it. But that was a great song uh, about the blood of Christ. It was very, very strong. And and today we come to a time in church history, it's the first time the church has to call together some sort of council, some sort of group together to solve a problem, and the problem's a theological one. Now, I I say that because I know there was an issue in Acts 6 when they did the deacons, but that was a very practical problem of procedure. This is a theological issue, and there have been a lot of councils and meetings for theological issues through history, um, but but in this instance, there was an error that had come in, and it caused I uh, call this civil war because the leaders uh, were on two different sides. Now, the good leaders, the main leaders, or the, uh, the the ones that were on the side of what God wanted. Um, I don't think that, that it, there was a lot of problem there, but the guys on the other side weren't necessarily bad. They're uh, in one place in this passage. They're identified as. Believers, just of a particular party, uh, a a different thing. So let's stand together. I'm going to read these 21 verses, and we're going to look at what uh, they did in this. Um, Now, you got to get the context to understand verse 1. This is still Paul and Barnabas um, uh, up in uh, in Antioch, in the different Antioch, where the Gentile church had uh, really taken off. And it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. <clears throat> and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in details the conversion of the Gentiles... And brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders... ...and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said... ...it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them... "Brothers." But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Love the next sentence. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will build, rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who made these things, makes these things known from of old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For the from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. May God add his blessing to the ring of his word. You can be seated. What I want you to take home with you today is the only reason for a split or a, a civil war is over absolute truth. I, and you need to understand what I'm saying there. Uh, you know, you, you got these churches like Harmony Baptist Church and down the road is Second Harmony Baptist Church because they had a split, right? Yeah, it's kind of funny, isn't it? The name they pick, uh, that happens a lot. And uh, uh, we seem really good as human beings at fighting each other and it's no different in the church. We love to fight each other. And what I've noticed is that a majority of times, it's not always true, churches that split off because they don't agree with something, they're angry, um, usually they don't know how to not fight because that's what they were doing to start with. They keep fighting instead of resolving issues. So that's not always true. Sometimes it's a need, and the need is when it's absolute truth. When the when the theology is messed up, that's when you need to take a stand and make a strong stand. That's what we have here. We have an issue of truth, and so a strong stand has to be made, a decision has to be made, and the church does that. And in, in, in our modern uh, idea of church and, and, and what we think of as church and in our nation, um, many times churches split over stuff that doesn't matter. Um, I said many again, not every time. And uh, I've even uh, seen churches that split and then they start trading members back and forth. So, you know, it's just, it's always a weird thing to me. Um, and, and the churches, because we do that, what happens is we lose our evangelism. Because we'd rather fight over what we don't agree about, And then on doing what the church was put here to do. So to me, those kind of arguments are a distraction of the devil to start with. And they're demonic. In our new members class, and those of you who have had the opportunity to take it, remember this. And those who have not, probably don't. But in there, I make a statement that any attitude in the church that causes disunity is sin. Let me say that again. Any attitude in the church that causes disunity is sin sin when you want to criticize complain about your fellow believer even if when you don't agree with them and and you make that when you start telling other people this is what we do man i want you to be praying for so and so do you know that they said this what we the bible calls that is gossip it means you're a sinner for saying that if god points something out to you discernment is a call to prayer not a call to to gossip you should have taught anybody but God about that if God gives you something that you see that you go, that's a need, and pray. And if, of course, if it's bad enough, the leaders should address it, and I get all that. But but my point is this, that we have to be very careful what we see as absolute truth and not truth. Absolute truth is found in Scripture. Uh, we sang a song about it today. Again, Pastor Andy was careful picking out a lot of these songs today because all applies to that. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. God existed from... Uh, Before time began, he created time. There was never time God was not. All things that are in this physical universe, which is expanding. And by the way, what's it expanding into? Into wherever God wants it to expand into. Uh, it, it, It just all points that there was a creator who created. He existed before time. All things that are seen are created by him. He entered human existence because he created man. Man fell. He knew that beforehand. And the only thing that would take care of man's problem is for a man who was perfect to die for our sin. And so Jesus came as a man, lived a perfect life to qualify, went to a cross, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and he was buried so he could rise from the dead. Nobody would doubt that he was actually dead. He was dead long enough in that tomb that he, the, the dude was dead, and he got up physically out of the tomb. He seated at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to the church to enable us to understand all truth He gave us a written word that is completed so that we can know what he says. The Holy Spirit illuminates his word to us. And Jesus is fixing to come back. That's truth. The rest, eh, okay, Uh, pretty much. And, 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 And so, you know, and what happens is as people, the way we think is... Just tell me what to do or tell me what not to do. And we start making lists of rules. And you've got a list of rules. i got a list of rules. Hey, just before the sermon, Janice and I had a fight in my office. Because I wasn't doing it the way she thought I ought to be doing it. And I told her so. (laughs) (laughs) Then we prayed together. She was right. But anyway, she's always right. No, no. I'm just kind of joking there, but 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 no, I'm just saying, this is just our nature. It's like, well, my rules are the right ones, right? And then when you disagree with me, well, you're wrong, and and you're saying, well, you're wrong, and so we split and we go, it's crazy. It's just nuts. And so the church is more involved in sheep shifting than it is in reproduction. Because it takes sheep to reproduce sheep, you know that, right? Amen. Not shepherds, sheep. Shepherds don't reproduce, sheep reproduce. Right? This is called stable thinking, horse sense. Okay, That's what that is. Well, in in, in the history of the church, there was an original church started back here. And as it came forward in time, it got into a lot of errors. So that in 1517, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther goes up to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany... And back then, the church door is like text messaging today. When you want people to know something, else, or Instagram. And he nails 95 reasons the Roman Catholic Church was wrong to the door at Wittenberg, And says, this is wrong because it is salvation by faith, by grace through faith. And he sticks that on the door. And the reformation of the church is on. Well, in that reformation, they came up with five sayings... Um, and, and they got codified eventually. But these are the five sayings. I wanted you to be aware of these. And the five solas, it's, it, that's in Latin. And here's what they mean out beside them. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. There is no truth but this word. Nothing else. There's no other book. The Book of Mormon's wrong. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness interpretation of the Bible is wrong. Because it does not follow a good uh, grammar of, of the original languages. This Bible is our only source of authority. It's scripture alone. It's not a pope. It's not a priest. It's not a preacher. It's this word. If I'm wrong about what this word says, I come under its judgment. I don't judge it. But we live in a society today where we want to make the Bible fit us. I had a cousin that called it the exempt religion. It's like a cafeteria church. You know, you just go and pick out what you like. And and I preach straight through the Bible... And one reason I do that is because when I get those parts that I don't want to talk about, i got to talk about it because you'll notice if I skip it, <laughs> right? And so I try to handle the hard stuff as well as the easy stuff. I'd rather preach sermons that you liked, and you'd go out of here saying, "Bam, pastor, you're such a great guy and a good pastor, but that, that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to make our lives conform to what the Bible says, not make the Bible conform to how I want to live my life. And, and, and that's tough to do for us. And so, Scripture alone. Sola fide is, and I may be mispronouncing. I, have, I didn't check with Annabelle. She knows how to talk Latin. But faith alone. We're saved through faith alone. And I'll go on to the next one. Sola gratia, grace alone. In other words, it is God's grace through faith that brings us salvation. According to the Scriptures alone... Through Christ alone, solus Christos, Christ alone. He alone is our Lord and Savior and King. And so, sola dea gloria, to God alone be the glory. Now, this is the problem they're facing right here. Is a a trying to add to faith. Trying to add to grace. Trying to add to the scripture what is not there. We face those same problems today. And it it's interesting to me, uh, out of this council, you've got two different personalities that are present there. You've got uh, Paul, and you've got James. Paul writes the first book ever written in the New Testament, the book of Galatians, and it deals with what they're talking about in this council. Because everybody was so confused, he sat down and he wrote it out for the church at Galatia, what it means to be a Christian. And it's very interesting that Paul was the ultimate Jew who became the apostle to those who are not Jewish. And he did that so he could interpret the Old Testament into our experience without us ever having to become Jewish. And that's what the book of Galatians is about. And the crowning verse is, you foolish Galatians, you who started in the grace of God, what makes you think you'll complete it by your own works? You also have another personality, James, and the James in this. James the Apostle is dead. He's already been martyred. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Because remember, in New Testament days, they didn't have Harmony Baptists and Calvary Baptists and, you know, a Trail Baptists. They just had the church at Jerusalem meeting in hundreds or thousands of homes across the city. And the pastor, the head pastor, the main pastor is James. He's teaching the pastors who are teaching the church. You following that structure? Well, James writes the book of James, yeah, exactly. Duh. Um, you only had one, name it after yourself. No, but um, no, I'm kidding. We probably named the books later. But in there, James is talking about the practical side of what we're talking about. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but if you're saved by grace, even though there's not this external law put on you like the, like the law of the Old Testament, still there ought to be results in your life. And the works of your life have to point to the grace of God that's working present in your life. And this is a life and a tension between two extremes. We see it in the modern world. You got what we call... Legalist or fundamentalist, as I like to call them. No fun, lot of damn, very little mental. Okay. Right? <laughs> and so that group over there, man, the way you cut your hair makes a difference. The way you wear glasses make a difference. Uh these are things I heard back in the day. You don't hear some of this so much anymore. The way the clothes you wear make a difference. My wife was actually a teacher in a in a school that was very um, strict like that. And so they would have their teachers meeting once a week. She came home, she said, look, they were talking about this. And, you know, it sounds really good, like you ought to be holy, and here's how you are holy. Like, I'm, of course, not holy today, because I don't have a tie or a suit, okay? Um, I, I, I joked with my wife, because most of you know, no, we, we were in Scotland last week, first time I ever got to go. And I said, I, I wonder if people at church expect me to be wearing a kilt Sunday. That would have really been sinful, you know, to some, to some people, but... Um, but she, I just remember this one time she came home and said they were talking about, you know, dress and all that. And it just makes something, help me. And I said, well, if wearing a suit and having short hair makes you godly, that means the tailor and the barber are the authors of salvation. Right? Now you got the other side that's very experiential. Okay, and, I, and, I, and I've never been one of them, so I don't want to be too harsh because uh, I love them, you know, I, I believe they're going to heaven if they don't run past. They're just excited. <laughs> but they want the experience, right? And, and so they get excited, and if they have an experience, they make that truth instead of having the objective truth of God's Word. This group takes the objective truth of God's Word, and they apply it in such a way that it squeezes the life out of you. These folks are have the life, but then it can turn into kind of a, jelly thing where there's no truth yet jesus said those who worship god must worship him in spirit and truth so god calls us to live in the center of biblical tension in jude verse 24 it says building yourself up in your most holy faith praying in the spirit this is the balance of the christian life well in this passage we got a group that got excited about the rules okay They wanted, these are the legalists down here, okay, in in this. And so it's where Paul Paul and Barnabas are pastoring. And this false doctrine comes in. They added to grace. You were saved. The moment you're saved, you're saved completely. From the guttermost to the uttermost, you're done. You are saved, period. Your sins are forgiven. See, we get this mentality because we have to live in time. Like, there's going to be a tomorrow, Did you know having a tomorrow just proves evolution? But anyway, we won't get into that philosophy. Uh, i just like to say that just to make you think. Because we live in time, well, I got saved when I was eight, but then I sinned, so I got to go back and get forgiveness. Well, wait a minute, let me ask you a question. When I came to Christ, how many sins did I committed? There are two answers in our perspective, both of them being correct. None of them, I'm sorry, let me change that. When Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, how many sins did I committed? Two correct answers. None of them because I hadn't lived yet. And all of them because he was dying for the sins, my sins, that he already saw. He didn't die for the things I do. He died for the nature I was born with. I was born with a sinful nature. Psalm 139, in sin I was conceived. And when I was born, the first thing I wanted to do was sin. And I wanted to sin until Christ entered being in my life, and changed my nature from a lost nature to a saved nature, from an Adamic nature to a Christ nature. So let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let him transform your mind moment by moment, like stage by stage we're being transformed into his image. But all my sins were forgiven. They're done. You say, well, doesn't it say to ask God for forgiveness when you sin? No, it says confess your sins, which means to agree with him, God, I messed up. You're right, I did that, I shouldn't have done that. But let me ask you, when I used to steal cookies out of the cookie jar when I was a little kid, did that make me not my parents' child? No. Did they quit loving me? No. And if you're a parent of of a child that was was, uh, uh, always obedient or had some trouble, you understand what I'm talking about. You don't quit loving them no matter what they do. Because that's your child, right? God forgave me of all my sins before I had ever committed any of them. And by his grace. And he brought me to the knowledge of that when I was an eight-year-old boy. And so at 59, I get it. I messed up and I will mess up. But I go to the throne of grace and say thank you. Because once you understand this, that's all you got left is to say thank you. And so these people came along and said, oh, you think you're saved? You got to be circumcised. Now that's a bummer. If you're a man in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and beyond, that's a bummer. And some of these Gentiles are going, are you sure? But they added to it. This is the law. If you're what people of God, you've got to be circumcised. That's why Romans 2, at the end of the chapter, Paul says this. They're not Jews who are Jews outwardly, who circumcision of the flesh. But they are Jews who are Jews inwardly, who circumcision of the heart. That our heart has been exposed and made tender toward God. So I am Jewish (laughs) from the inside. (laughs) And being an outside Jew has no benefit except that God gave the law and the Bible and the Savior through the Jewish people. But that's it. A Jewish person today has to be saved just like I'm saved. They don't get a special pass to get in for free. They've got to come to to the cross and say Jesus is the Messiah and his death on the cross pays for our sin. He is the Lamb of God from before the foundation of the world. And so they had a strong debate. Verse 2 is obviously a strong debate because it says so. But down in verse 3 to 5, I just want you to know. So Paul and Barnabas and some others from the church are sent down to Jerusalem to talk to the elders and the pastors about... The, the elders is the word for pastors. To, and, but talk to the apostles and the elders about this. And all the way down... It had to be frustrating to the Judaizers. They're they're called Judaizers, by the way, just to increase your education. The people who believe you've got to be circumcised to be saved or follow Jewish law to be saved are called Judaizers. They want to make you a Jew before you can be a Christian. And they had to accompany Paul and Barnabas because they send the group down. They send some of them and some of them. And so it had to be frustrating because everywhere they went, Paul and Barnabas going, hey, guess what? God's saving the Gentiles. You can be saved, man. They are preaching that all the way down. Judaizers over there probably just steaming. Because they're doing that. But we see that all the way down through verse 5. And there was still opposition. Look at verse 5. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. They couldn't let go of their tradition. Now I'm telling you, a lot of this seems to apply in churches today in America because we've had generations of people who have created a Christian culture that is now within the church. Outside the church, used to understand it and respect it. But friend, let me just tell you, if you're as old as me or older, you if you don't get this, get it now. Outside this church, they could not care any less about what you and I believe. But what they will care about is if we care about them and tell them about a Savior who can save them from their sins. And we had kind of lost that. We thought we were in charge. We thought we were dominant. We thought we had that, that right. But there's still opposition They couldn't let go of their religion. But why is it necessary to follow the law of Moses before you can be saved? That was the question they had to answer. And they came up with, it's not necessary. Okay, So they they had the law. And later on, Peter even says, how'd that work out for you? You're asking them to keep a law that we couldn't keep. I've noticed that about the legalistic side. Like I tell you, I was almost a legalist at one point. I guess I was a legalist. And, 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 and so I, I talk about them and I fuss at them because I, I understand that better. But here's something I notice about legalists. They make rules for themselves. They can't keep themselves. They don't even give themselves grace, much less than anybody else. That's a horrible way to live. And I love that the Bible says God does not reason as a man. He doesn't think like a man. And we make a mistake when we think God thinks like we think. we got to think like God thinks. Well, Peter speaks out, verse 6 through 11. I've already read it. So the apostles and elders... Now notice that. Apostles were those 11 men. One of them has been martyred that that Jesus had worked with. And so they are now the apostles. And, And that word is the same word that we would use for a missionary today, but it's different. The original apostles, those 11 men that were left after Judas uh, killed himself, those are the men who codified, who, who structured the theology that we believe today. They're the ones that set it down in order. So they had a certain authority in that day. When they spoke, it was because they had been taught by Jesus himself. And so when an issue came up, you would go to them to find out what they thought uh, Jesus would say about it. But then you got the pastors. These are the new leaders that have been being taught ...by those apostles. So the pastors, the apostles, they gather together to consider the matter. And after much debate, everybody's yakking, 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 as always happens. Peter stands up and he shuts them all up. (laughs) And he does it, and this is kind of interesting... ...because Paul says in Galatians that Peter even wavered in this. That Peter, when he was apart from the Judaizers, was like, yeah, yeah, you are saved by grace. But when the Judaizers showed up, he got a little afraid politically. Paul didn't care... So Paul would just rip you a new one, man. He's just going at you. But, but Peter, he's like, uh, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't kind of go along with it. So he kind of go along. So Paul says, Peter, what are you doing, man? Don't do it. I mean, it's the only time in the scripture where it says, other than Jesus, somebody stood up to Peter and said, you're wrong. But Paul did that, and Peter repented and was right. And he stands up at this council and says, hey, are you crazy? It's great that God gave us the law through the Jews, but he did it so he could give us Christ and God has used me. Remember, I I told you before, let me go over it quickly again. In Matthew, Jesus said to Peter, you're the rock on this rock, I'll build my church, and you have the keys of the kingdom. What you open will be open, what you lock will be locked. And in Acts 2, he opened the door, and the Holy Spirit came on the Jewish people as he preached the Holy Spirit fell, people are saved. In Acts 8, half Jewish, half Gentile people, he is the guy that unlocks the door and the Holy Spirit comes. In Acts 10, Cornelius, the, 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 Roman, guard, the Roman centurion of the Italian band, he, uh, is when Peter has his vision of clean and unclean, he goes see Cornelius. God had told Cornelius to call for Peter. Peter goes in, preaches the gospel, Cornelius gets saved, the Holy Spirit falls, and now it's open. The Gentiles can be saved because Peter's unlocked the door, and he makes reference. And he says, as you know, guys, it was I was God's choice to unlock the door of the gospel. And when I did, God gave them the Holy Spirit without them ever becoming Jewish. They didn't get circumcised, they didn't sign a, a covenant that says we'll keep all the dietary laws of the Jews, Nothing. The Holy Spirit came. He filled them at the moment of trusting and following Christ. And so this council of many are called together, but Peter set the record straight. And so by verse 11, he says, the grace, uh, But we believe we'll be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just like they will. Here's Peter, this Jewish fisherman, zealot. Eleven of the twelve disciples were zealots. That means they wanted everybody to be Jewish. And Peter was one of those guys. And he says, no, they get to be saved without being like me. So many times we want people to be like us, not like Jesus. That's why we work so hard to make people good church members. We work hardly at all to make them good Christians. And there's a difference. So then, just it's only just stuck in here quickly. But Paul is the guy that wrote the book on this. He writes the book of Galatians. He's the guy that confronted peter about it but at the council is only one little verse so barnabas and paul spoke did you notice something in verse 12 though after the assembly fell silent they listened to barnabas and paul as they relayed the signs and wonders god had done through them among the gentiles because they've been on a mission trip now they've seen all these gentiles getting saved so they're telling that but do you notice how luke records it barnabas and paul it's the only time after paul takes over that they put Barnabas' name first. Why? Because in Jerusalem, Barnabas has a reputation. And Paul is still the guy that was trying to kill them all. <laughs> and so as they relate it, Luke puts in there Barnabas and Paul. Just kind of a hint that Barnabas at this part speaks up more. Paul is the guy behind the scenes, organized, getting everything straight. And he's very, of course, I'm sure vocal and strong. But I just thought it was kind of an interesting point that Barnabas and Paul testify of what God had done. they telling them, guys, listen, this is what God did. But Paul, being the uber Jew, I mean, he is the Jew of Jews in his day. He is more Jewish than anybody standing around him in any group of company. And he's the guy saying, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Christian. To be a Christ follower, you don't have to keep the law. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to... Only eat kosher food. You don't have to do all this stuff. You're free in Christ. In another place, Paul said, but don't use your freedom as an excuse for the flesh to do what you want. Because those who are saved crucify the flesh and don't follow the flesh. Remember the balance? We have a freedom, but we also have a regulation to follow Christ and be like Christ. And if Christ would not follow into that sin, you should not. Was Christ free too? Well, that t- technically could be debated. But Christ was the only one who had a free will since Adam. And he exercised it to follow perfectly the will of God. But he's the only guy that could ever do that. The only man who ever lived that could perfectly use his, his uh, free will to follow the will of God. So James decides, verses 13 to 21, just a couple of quick points out of this. So James starts talking And here's what I noticed. And this is, I'm I'm not sure what this means, but I noticed it. So I'm just going to lay it out there. Somebody may come later and tell me what it means. Remember I said you got the apostles. These are the guys you're going to listen to because they're the guys that Jesus taught them. Then you got the pastors who were taught by the apostles. And James is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. First church ever. It's the church that all churches have come from, basically, in a manner of speaking. And so James is the pastor of that big church, the church that covers the city and hundreds of homes, maybe thousands. And James gives the word that everybody follows. I would have thought it had been Paul. I would have thought it had been Peter. But he didn't tell Peter he'd like the theology doors. He said he'd like the doors of the kingdom. And when it came to making this decision, James, the pastor, is the guy that makes the decision. They submitted themselves to that decision and so James he gives a lot of uh, a lot of background a lot of thinking he says brothers listen to me in verse 13 Simon's related how God first visited Gentiles and what he did and it, the and then he quotes the prophets and he and he lays it out and we come to verse 19 and I just want to help you with it here's my judgment that we shouldn't trouble these Gentiles who turned to God let's not put anything more on them because God didn't do it we put such requirements on people to come to Christ And sometimes we don't realize we do it. Or, and this is more insidious and maybe even more, you may be more blind to this. You think you can add to your salvation. Or you think you can subtract from your salvation. Listen, I'm as saved as I'm ever going to get. And if I never sinned again, because I just told you I sinned just before church started. I had an argument with my wife. Right? I wasn't nice to her at all. I should have said, you're right, honey. You you know, let me not do what I'm doing here and do that. Right? And uh, At least the women ought to say amen. The men are going, what are you doing, you betrayer? No, absolutely. Thank you, sister. So, yeah, I... I'm gonna sin some more, but guess what? I didn't lose my salvation and I'm not God doesn't love me any less. I'm saved. Nothing's going to rip me from that hand. We sang another song. Nothing's going to take me out of the hand of God. No demon of hell, no sin of man will take me out of the hand of God. Amen. But at the same time, if I'm saved, then the Holy Spirit's not going to lead me into sin, right? If I'm following the Spirit, I will not walk knowingly into sin. And so, this this tension of this life that we have to live. So, James reviews the testimony. He refers to Scripture. He makes the judgment. And here's the judgment he makes. By the way, I didn't do that second part. Sometimes we think not only can we take a, we think that if I'm really righteous and I do good things all the time, somehow it makes me a better Christian. Let me tell you, the, the guy that gets saved just before he dies, and I don't recommend you shooting for that because it can catch you by surprise, especially if you live like me. I, I said, I'm going to put a card in my wallet one day. It says, if I am found dead in unusual circumstances, I did not kill myself. I am this stupid. That was <laughs> just in case there was a question. I've been close a few times, I'm telling you. But there's nothing I can do. The guy that gets saved just before he dies goes to the same heaven Billy Graham went to. I'm not saying Billy Graham doesn't have great rewards in heaven. Of course he does. And that guy may have very little to bring to God. But my point is this. They both were saved the same way. According to the scripture, by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone. And to God alone be the glory. That's why Romans 9 says, and Ephesians says, Not of works lest a man can boast it before the throne of God. No. This is all an act of God. We got nothing to do with it except the sin that made it necessary. And so here's this judgment. And you may have read this and kind of wondered what it meant. They should abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood. That's actually kind of the same thing. What are those three things? Don't eat food that's been polluted by idols. Why? Because when the Gentile people got saved, they were getting saved out of a practice of taking meat and offering it to an idol. And then they see the Jewish people who wanted to save money because that meat was cheaper because it's been sacrificed as cooked. Hey, I'll buy that one because it's cheaper. And these Gentile believers said, how are you eating meat... ...that's been offered to this false god? And so he says, don't don't do that, guys. Because you're going to make a Gentile believer stumble. So if they see you doing it, you don't want to do that. The things of blood, because God had told the Jewish people... ...the life is in the blood. So when they killed an animal, they bled it out. They made sure that the blood was gone. They didn't want to eat or consume any blood... And so, of course, in some pagan rituals, they would drink blood, but they will make sure, so they bleed out an animal, so the meat won't be tainted by that, by that blood. And so, if you're eating meat that is, you know, like pate or liver, don't do that, because there's a Jewish Christian who goes, how can you eat something with blood, and God said not do that. And so, it was just in this outside practice where, like, I don't care if it was offered to an idol. Big deal. It's not even a real God. It's just some idiot did that. And I get cheap meat. So I'm going to eat it. You know, and on the other hand, it's okay. I cooked it over 400 degrees. There's no disease in it. I'm just going to be all right. You know, 400 degrees will kill anything that's going to hurt you. Just don't eat raw meat. That's all he's saying. You say, what about sexual immorality? Well, I believe he means be pure in your sexual practice, obviously, but here's something I've noticed in Scripture, and I, I want you to look this up and really study it out. Every time we are disloyal to the truth of God's Word, God calls it adultery. In James, those who would be friends of the world are adulterers to God. In Revelation, those who deny Christ are adulterating themselves with the world. And so I believe that this is here not just to mean, of course, be pure you know keep that for marriage and keep yourself for that and only in that context but i believe he's also saying stay loyal to jesus and the teachings of christ don't offend your gentile or your jewish brother and stay loyal to christ that's what this amounts to to me now you can debate that with me say no 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 i believe okay that's fine we can get legalistic about it or get all happy about either way but what he's saying is, don't offend your brothers. And if your brother knows, I've said this before, and y'all, I said it kind of juggling you. The only reason I ever get a haircut is so you won't look at me and go, Why is that guy's hair like that? I just don't want to draw attention to that. So I keep it cut in just the kind of way that nobody even notices, except barbers. They're going, Stuart needs a haircut. Right? If not, my hair would be longer than anybody's in the room. Because I don't, well, you know, Janice might have something to say about that too, but I'm just saying. If it were up to me, that's what I'd do. But I don't want somebody to go, I don't think you ought to have that long hair. I don't want to offend anybody. So that's why I do it. Now, that's a stupid little thing, and it's more, it's not as serious as I just made it sound. But there are other things we do that a brother who may have been weakened. I had a roommate in school, and I like contemporary Christian music. and And so I was playing my... <laughs> Okay, here's an old term. Kids, ask your parents to explain this. I was playing my record player. <laughs> well, actually, those have made a comeback. And I was listening to Christian contemporary music. And my roommate said to me, I wish you wouldn't do that. I said, why? He said, because I used to go to clubs, and that's what the music sounded like to me. And I said, not a problem. Plugged in a set of headphones, and never he never heard that again. Because I didn't want to... Make him think about his sinful past. That's what he was saying to me. And there's some things that you may be free to do, but it offends your brother. So, all right, back off, man. Just, you may be strong enough to do it and not sin, but don't, don't make your brother say, either be offended or say, oh, it must be okay, and he goes back into something that's sinful to him, and it destroys him. That's what the weaker brother thing means, because I, I have no desire for alcohol. It doesn't bother me. But there's a guy who was, who was an addict, and he, and he gets saved, and God redeems him, and he sees the pastor taking a drink. Well, the pastor does. It must be okay. He takes that drink, and he doesn't have the strength, the power to not go too far, and he goes too far. That's what it means to offend your brother, not that he just, I don't like you doing that. That's not offense. Offense is when I cause you to go into something that's sin for you. Now, you say, well, we can't possibly do that because we're always going to do something. So I, I get that. But that's what James is saying. Don't do these big things that lead people into what for them would be sinful behavior. And stay loyal to Jesus. And so they wrote it out and they took it to all the churches, which is what we see next. Well, what in the world can we do? Well, first of all, if you're going to follow the scripture, you've got to know the scripture, right? So make a definite plan of reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on God's word. So you won't be carried away by every wind of doctrine. Hebrews 9.1. Okay? Here, here's what Hebrews 9.1 says. Because it says it better and I can say it, obviously. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which uh, were the lampstand." So what he's saying is that we have a temple from God and God's word teaches us how to live our life. And so we got to know what his word says. And it says even the temple had an order to it, something that needed to be done. So let God get you so you're not carried away by winds of doctrine. Secondly, tell one person this week how the grace of God changed your life and how it can change their life. I mean, you ought to live as a free man because you are. And God's grace, it does more than saves, it enables us to live like Christ. So just tell somebody how God has enabled you to be an overcomer in this life over things. The sin, as it says in Hebrews 12, the sin that easily besets us, that God has given us victory over that sin. Tell somebody about the grace of God that saved you and changed you and gives you the belt. Not because it's a list of rules on a wall, but because it's God's word written on your heart. That's what the Bible says, right? I'm going to take out the heart of stone and put it in the heart of flesh. And I'm going to write my law on your heart. That's why the Holy Spirit lives in us.